Hello. Hello. to Three Stooges Throwback, the comprehensive, encyclopedic compendium of all things Three Stooges. From woman haters to sappy bullfighters, from Curly to Shemp, and even to Joe. I am your host, Gabriel Russo, and I'm looking at all 190 shorts produced for Columbia Pictures by the Three Stooges comedy team. Hello and welcome back once again to the Three Stooges Throwback podcast. I am still, after all this time, your host, Gabriel Russo, and we are still going over the 190 shorts produced for Columbia Pictures by the comedy team, The Three Stooges, as noted in the intro. This is episode 45, covering the short Rockin' Through the Rockies. First things first, I use Wikipedia, IMDB, and threestooges.net. And I've incorporated TakeMeBack.to for historical bits, as well as ObscureActress.WordPress.com from time to time to find all the information for the episodes. And I am watching them from The Three Stooges account, all one word, on YouTube in 1080p. They look even better than they did when they were first released. I have read almost, I think, I think every book on the Three Stooges. I use my own brain to formulate the opinions on the show, while I also regurgitate the opinions of others. I am not an expert on the Three Stooges, just a knowledgeable fan. I make mistakes, I leave things out, but it is fine. Everything will be okay. I will probably repeat myself a hundred times before it's over. A hundred and ninety times. With that said, let's get on with the show. Rockies comes in with a runtime of around 1720. It was shot over five days from November 7th to the 11th, 1939. And it was released to an adoring public on March the 8th, 1940. So a five-month wait on this one. Only one month wait for you, Nasdy Spy, which was the last ep. What else was going on on March 8th, 1940? Well, The Drums of Fu Manchu was the most popular film of the week. The Road to Singapore was also popular. And this was the first in the road picture series by Bob Hope and Bing Crosby. It had Dorothy L'Amour in it. I used to watch those movies when I was a kid. They would have the road to whatever, you know, on uh, VHS, U8. UHF, VHS. Anyway, also out is Virginia City with Errol Flynn. There's a biography for you. The Errol Flynn bio. You should re- Everyone should read that. It is fantastic. Also on this day in New York City, 300 RCA executives vote to rename television into Radiovision. <laughs> well, that didn't stick. Interestingly, it looks like Billboard does not keep a record until July of this year, 1940. Like for top songs of the week. Not only pre-World War II, but pre-Billboard charts. But the Jell-O program with Jack Benny was one of the top shows. And it would change names several times with Benny at the helm. Uh, That's another one I used to watch, the Jack Benny show. 
um, you know, when I was a kid. And it was, uh, it was pretty funny. Jack, Jack Benny was funny. Rochester. The Mice in the Warner Brothers cartoon. They did a, uh, I think there were two of them. With uh, Jack Benny and Rochester um, vibes. I think there were two. There may have only been one. Produced, this, this short is produced and directed by Jules White. Who else? Written by Clyde Brookman. Hollywood historian Kenneth Anger considers Brookman to be one of the key figures in screen comedy. Anger wrote Hollywood Babylon, which is uh, very salacious, with mostly false stories about silent-era Hollywood. Um, they are fun books, though. They were probably the first books I ever read on um, silent Hollywood or classic Hollywood, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I didn't know they were false, you know, I thought they were true. Anyway, they are not. Curly, Larry, and Moe are your three stooges in this ep, of course. There are several people named here in the opening credits. Linda Winters, Lorna Gray, Dorothy Appleby, and Catherine Sheldon all get a with credit. So that's kind of nice. Linda Winters was credited as Dorothy Comingor, according to IMDb, but in the actual credits of the day, she is Linda Winters. She went on to play the Marion Davies role in Citizen Kane, and William Randolph Hearst ruined her. Uh, we've talked about her previously. She declined to answer questions in Congress about her political affiliation during the Red Scare and was blacklisted as a result in 1951. Good for her, though. Lorna Gray here in her fourth short in a row. We have covered her numerous times, and this is her final stooge appearance, sadly. She will be missed. So Dorothy Appleby is in her first stooge appearance, but had worked with Moe and Curly in Jailbirds of Paradise in 1934, and Ted Healy and his stooges in The Prize Fighter and the Lady in 1933. She never progressed into larger roles due to her height. No pun intended. She is barely over five feet tall, and it's notable because the Stooges are taller than her, which is unusual. Usually uh, everyone towers over the boys. We will see her in uh, six or seven shorts in the next year or two, and she will become a very familiar face. She leaves Hollywood in 1943 to marry and have a family. We'll have more on her in upcoming shorts. Catherine Sheldon here also. She was in over 100 films. Her last was in 1956, and it was uncredited in the Ten Commandments. She died on Christmas Day, 1975. She did one stewed short here and two Shemp two solo vehicles. Dick Curtis again here as the Indian Chief, which is a weird role, but hey, you know, we've covered Dick Curtis quite a bit lately. Um, Pioneer Town always comes to mind. Look it up. Richard Fisk here playing the Indian, or an Indian. We remember him as being killed in World War II just as his career was on the upswing. He had 89 credits to his name, 9 Stooges, and 6 Shemp solo efforts. Say that uh, 6 times or 3 times fast. 6 Shemp solo shorts. 
Cy Shindell is uh, here again. Every time I go to the short on IMDb and see the thumbnail here of uh, Cy Shindell, he looks like Lou Costello. I know I mentioned it before, but it, it happens all the time. But then you you, don't, you you know you look at him closer, or on you know you click on it, and um, he looks nothing like Lou Costello. It's just in that it's just in the uh, the little thumbnail on the computer. It's interesting. John Tyrell is here, and we remember him from Vaudeville, starting at 16 with Tyrell and Mac, the dance team. Remember might be a stretch. Uh, maybe I keep repeating the same few facts about some of these folks, you know, there's only so much, so, eh. Oh well, I looked for Tyrell and Mac online, and I could only find Murray and Mac from Vaudeville. I couldn't find anything about Tyrell and Mac, but evidently they were supposed to be very popular. Eh. There's a poster which reads, starring in their new musical gaiety. Uh, that, that's Murray and Mac, though. I could find no pictures of Tyrell and Mac, who were headliners for 10 years. That's amazing. They must have really cut a rug. <laughs> Was it two guys? I don't know. Was it a man and a woman? I don't know. The only vaudeville Mac I could find was Morgan Mac, who did a minstrel show called Two Black Crows, and so I stopped looking. <laughs> Bert Young again here. He looks uh, looks like 33 stooge shorts or, or so, and uh, several Shemp solos. Nothing on Bert on the internet. It's amazing what is and isn't online. You know, this guy had a career in Hollywood. There must be something known about him, but nope. So we open on a banner, Nell's Bells. Direct from three hot weeks in Kansas. Nell and her three ladies are cooking and complaining about, where are those idiots? Um, she sums it up nicely by saying she doesn't understand how these three broken down hoofers talked her into hiring them as guides. They must get to San Francisco in two months for their singing engagement, or it will be canceled. The girls get way more lines here than normal, with one saying uh, they wouldn't know the, the, that the Stooges wouldn't know a redskin from a sunburn. Pretty good. Then we see the boys coming through the woods. Mo takes a branch in the face, and Curly says he's tired of looking for Indians. Let them come to us for a change. Nell is uh, Catherine Sheldon here. She rings the dinner bell, and the Stooges come a-running in fast motion. Mo says, here we are. Larry runs up and just says, dish it out. Dish it out. She conks her heads together. You said come and get it. She says, well, you got it. <laughs> and if you don't get us to San Francisco, you're really going to get it. And Mo says, what's the big rush? We just left Kansas five months ago. <laughs> Nell pulls a pistol. And uh, says that she will fill them so full of holes they'll whistle like a peanut wagon. Curly says, you can't. We aren't members of the Peanut Sellers Union. Mo tells her to put away the artillery, which is a good line. She tells them to go open some corned beef. Mo and Larry go, and uh, Curly sidles up to the girls, and he wants a kiss. And, uh, they walk off as he's looking away, and he leans in, kisses Mo. He screams, I got pneumonia, and runs off, which cracked me up. I got pneumonia. They each have a can of corned beef and the little key to open it, like, you know, they used to have on those old cans. 
Curly's breaks, which was probably a very relatable thing. He starts crying and wailing, which is one of his uh, funniest go-tos to me. In describing Curly's antics, the crying is something that, you know, I, I don't remember, really. But I always it's always funny. You always think about him doing his, you know, antics. But, uh, yeah, he is funny in his skunk uh, skin cap, too. <laughs> Mo tells him to go use the axe, and Curly uh, does like a cheer. Give him the axe, give him the axe, right in the neck, right in the neck, the neck. Mo hits him. It reminds me of the cheers um, in uh, the some of those Bug Bunny cartoons of the you know around the time. Brick a brick a fire crack a sis boom ba. Bugs Bunny, Bugs Bunny, ra ra ra. Anyway, Curly smacks the can, and uh, Mo and Larry end up covered in corned beef. Obviously, you realize that was an accident, he says, and Mo does that laugh like, "Sure, kid, it's okay." And even Larry smacks Curly for this one, which is rare. They, uh, they then argue over Curly's standing guard tonight, and he says he won't unless he can use Moe's new gun. No, you don't know how to work it. And Curly says, yes, I do. And he, he shoots Moe in the foot, and the horses get spooked. So Dorothy Appleby comes, and uh, she gives Curly a hard time and says that if there are Indians, they know where to find him now because he shot the gun. Curly says, calm down, shorty. He says, I ain't afraid of Indians. I once shot a, uh, something out of out from under sitting bull. I couldn't catch what it is. It sounds like uh, a Maris chair. I once shot a something out from under sitting bull. I once shot a Maris chair out from under sitting bull. It was, so, she says sitting bull <laughs> and walks away. And uh, Curly says, okay, he was standing. But uh, Indians have now walked up behind the boys. As just as Larry proclaims that there aren't any Indians around here for miles, we scouted. Then he looks and sees them, and obviously everybody freaks out. The chief says, "How?" Curly says, "How do you do?" All the stuff with uh, Native American portrayals in these old movies and stuff—you know—it's all problematic to the modern eye. But uh, you know. Take it for what it is and the time it was made, which is what I try and do, you know, whatever. All of Hollywood was stereotyping, you know, everything. So Native Americans, you know. So the boys aren't really to blame, you know. So anyway, the chief says this land belongs to the escrow Indians and they have to get off the Indians land. No, pay, no pale face allowed. Curly says, we ain't pale, we're sunburned. It doesn't, that doesn't work. And the chief says, uh, you 23 skidoo by sunset, which is a funny, it's a pretty funny line. Otherwise they'll take their scalp. Curly takes his hat off. The barber already got mine. He says, Curly barks at the chief and Mo tells him, be quiet Airedale. So we get the Airedale comment again, you know, it must've been a funny name or something, or maybe it was a recent winner of the dog show or something. Maybe back then. I don't know. Anyway, chief says two sundowns and scram. He says, as they are leaving, one of the Indians says, heat, pretty pale face squall, like make them whoopee. <laughs> Man, the dialogue chief says, you keep mine on business. Make them whoopee later. Then he looks over and gives the eyebrows up and down. He says, not bad. <laughs> <laughs> the 
The girls are scared, but they can't leave now because it'll be dark soon. And uh, so Curly grabs the rifle, accidentally hits Mo. He kicks Curly and the rifle shoots in the air. <laughs> but, uh, you know, three ducks fall out of the sky, but the horses are spooked and they run off. So they all kind of argue and Nell says, the only thing keeping me from shooting you is a lack of bullets. And Curly offers, offers to lend her some. I thought that was great. They decide to use um, the scenery from the show that you know that they're in to build a shelter. It's Uncle Tom's cabin. So we cut to nighttime and it is snowing, and obviously the cabin is not sturdy at all. The boys are snoring like they do, you know, and uh, Curly is barking in his sleep. Mo and Larry wake him up and they make him go sleep by himself for barking. They tell him to use the bearskin rug as a blanket and go to the wagon for a mattress. So he goes outside. It's too snowy outside and he needs snowshoes. So he grabs a couple of guitars. He puts puts guitars on his feet. He's ridiculous as he skates off in, uh, in guitar shoes. But then we see a bear wander into the campsite. It goes right up to the cabin. It's sniffing around Mo and Larry. They see it and they're terrified. You know, they cover up with the blankets. And then outside, cut to outside and we got Curly struggling with the wagon. He goes back inside with a mattress and he lays down. When he tries to pull the bearskin rug over onto himself, it's the bear. It growls at him and Curly barks at it and it runs away. So sometimes his barking does work. That's great. Curly closes the door and then they all cower under the blankets. So we cut to morning. Curly has all the blankets in the middle and Mo and Larry are shivering. The ceiling is sagging, and when they try and uh, brace it up, they say, don't rip the canvas, you know. Ah. It comes loose, and snow dumps down everywhere. And Curly says, I'm sorry. It was a blizzard, an avalanche. <laughs> so they dig up Larry and Mo. Uh, he calls Curly an applehead, and uh, Curly goes flying through the sheet that they've put up to divide the boys from the girls. He lands on the girls and says, the walls of Jericho collapsed. <laughs> they start to get ready to leave so uh, that the Indians don't kill him. And Mo gets knocked out by, Cur yeah, by Curly with the axe accidentally. Larry is uh, pumping water, but ice cubes are coming out of the pump, which is a pretty good gag. Mo says, that ain't water, those are ice cubes. And Larry says, yeah, so it's hard water. <laughs> he tells Larry, look, gold. And dumps ice down his pants when he bends over to look. Nell tells him to go get some grub cooking. These girls are getting hungry. So they go to the wagon and uh, all the food is gone. The bears have eaten everything. So now they're stuck in the middle of Indian territory with a wagon but no horses and no food. Curly says, let's put a sail on the wagon. And does this pantomime of the waves like with his arm. And Mo stares at him. <laughs> Curly makes himself seasick, which is a funny little bit, which I didn't expect. I figured Mo would just smack him, but uh, nope. They get ready to make a sale, and Curly and Mo have a little business back and forth. A funny little bit is they're both uh, shouting, tote that barge, lift that bale, like sailors. And Curly starts to do the Charleston. I think it's the Charleston. That's pretty good. Mo keeps shouting ship captain stuff, like ship, shiver me timbers and that kind of thing. Curly walks up and just taps him on the shoulder and says, that's enough. Come on. <laughs> it's great. He just uses his 
like his regular voice. He's like, that's enough. Come on. So they have the sale already. And Curly says, uh, maybe we'll be like Columbus and discover a new country. Larry says, I'd like to discover something to eat. I'm hungry. They have fishing tackle. And they decide to cut holes in the ice and do some ice fishing. Curly is standing on a circle of ice, cutting around himself with the saw, of course, you know. He realizes at the last second and jumps off. He has a little business where he stomps on the circle. It doesn't break and he gets frustrated. And he jumps on it and then he goes into the water. He climbs out. He shakes himself off like a dog and he calls the hole a double crosser. You double crosser. Larry has a fish on the line. He pulls it out and it smacks Mo. It knocks him into the hole in the ice. Curly looks up at them and he's got a weird look on his face and it doesn't fit the scene like he's mad at something is his expression. It's weird. Um, Larry goes to get the fish off Mo and just leaps on him and they both go in the water. Curly says, what are you taking a bath for? It ain't Saturday. Curly is dry already, amazingly. Curly catches a goldfish and calls it a midget. Then a big fish jumps out of the hole and eats the goldfish. Curly and Moe have caught each other and don't know it. And Larry goes to help Curly and they pull Moe into the water. Curly tells Larry to get the iron bar and hit it on the head when he pulls it up. Because it's a big one. So they apologize to Moe, you know, and Nell runs up crying. The girls are gone. The girls are gone. There's a note that reads, Dear Hatchet Face, we take them pale face squaws. Oh my. You get new face maybe next time we take them you. Curly looks over at this point like he's sizing her up. and She's offended at the note. It's a, it's a fun little nothing that would go unnoticed, but it's it really is good. If no go by sunset, we scalp them close to the shoulder. Suddenly, the girls come running into camp, screaming, and they all gather at the cabin. A bunch of, un, a bunch of Indians are running toward the camp. They slam the door on the Indians, uh, who get a tree trunk to break the door down. Keep in mind that the cabin is made of canvas and is waving in the breeze. But anyway, the Indians charge the door with their tree trunk. Um, the boys open it before they get, you know, and they run through and the Indians all get trapped in the snowbank. Everybody runs to the wagon and Mo is shouting captain's orders again. They let the sail down on his head and the wagon sails off to San Francisco. The end. This film is often confused with a feature from 1945 called Rockin' in the Rockies, which is the only feature film actually starring the Three Stooges, Mo, Larry, and Curly, not just appearing in it. They are the stars. And it was made while they were making the shorts. Most people think that their movies were after the shorts were all done and that they were just with Curly Joe. But, nope. I will cover this feature when I get to the date. Um, I did not know that they were make that they made any features while they were still doing Columbia Shorts. Reading about it, it sounds great. So I'll cover that. Like I said, it's 1945 when we get there. At the rate I'm going, it'll probably be 2045. Um, the Walls of Jericho line is uh, referencing a movie with Claudette Colbert and uh, Clark Gable. It happened one night. Is the movie. They put up a sheet between them in the bed, and they call it the Walls of Jericho in the movie. When uh, 
when Curly does his chant to give him the axe, I was right. That is, it is a cheer. It is a football chant from Stanford University. Give him the axe. Give him the axe. Right in the neck. Right in the neck. Um, Curly shoots a Morris chair from under Sitting Bull. A Morris chair is an early reclining chair. All right. This short gets an 8.56 on threestooges.net. And I'll go with an 8. It's okay. It's nothing special. There were some fun bits and good lines. A lizard, a blizzard, an avalanche. There's some fun bits, like I said, but it lags a bit or something. I don't know. I still like it, though. It's a good one. This is the second short from 1940. And the 1940-43 shorts are really considered uh, their peak, at least peak curly. So there are some really great shorts coming up in the next couple of years of, um, you know, of coverage time. We're in, we just started 1940. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, stick with me on the podcast and we will learn all about them together. So that's going to do it for this episode. The next short is a classic. A plumbing we will go. And hopefully we will have a special guest. Click subscribe so you don't miss out. Please rate and review the show. Drop me a line if you have any comments or suggestions or book offers or bags of money that you cannot keep any longer. Whatever. Thanks for listening, and I have been your chief knucklehead, Gabe Russo, broadcasting from Stooge Studio at the back of the house. See you next time. Bye.